Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Giddy up and welcome to Podcast 424. Kurt Mortensen here. This is Maximize Your Influence. As we take a deep dive into emotions, into moods, why we do what we do, how to persuade, motivate, influence, and of course, persuade yourself. Good to have you back. Appreciate your love and support and all your emails. Can you contact me at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Let me know some of the topics that you want to hear about. And of course, if we mention you on the podcast, you get the gold version of InfluenceUniversity.com, the advanced persuasion tools. Hopefully you're having a great week. I've had a good week. Doing a lot with feedback, coaching. How do you get people to change? And when you open your mind here, we'll talk about this during the show today. How do you get people to change? People want to change. People are wearing a badge. Persuade me. Help me change. You're like, what? People don't mind change when you do it the right way. If I changed your income and increased it, don't think you'd resist your health, your relationships, improve those. Depends how you package the change because deep down people will change when you do it the right way. So stay tuned. We'll talk about that. Keep pursuing your dreams and your goals. Let me know how that's going. Let's jump into the persuasion blunder. Homer. There's always been this discrepancy of what engineers want, what architects want, even those that design cars, you know, what they think people want and need is very, very different. I mean, it's no big secret that some people put sidewalks in and people still walk in the grass. I've heard of some people just seeing where people walk, then they put in the sidewalks. Just because you do it, you put it in, doesn't mean it's the best idea. It could be the best idea, but if it's not what people are used to, it could backfire on you. So it is an airport this week, a relatively new airport. I see a bathroom sign. I walk towards it, and it's just the women. The men are completely on the other side. So women on one side, men on the other. And you're talking probably about a, I don't know, five, ten minute walk between these two. Our expectations, bathrooms should be together. Now, it probably made good sense, one on each side, maximize your space. But that's not how consumers or people think. What do they want? What do they expect? Casinos are really good at this. Everything's in the middle, never have to leave. They do their best to manage expectations. And so the blunder is, is what you think your prospect needs or wants might be very, very different. That's one of the reasons 80% of all new products fail. Because the people launching the product, that company's too close to it. Logically, they don't see the emotional side to it. They really don't get why people do what they do. Like the company that came out with the see-through refrigerator. What a great idea. They even asked people like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Because they're saying, hey, we're going to create this see-through refrigerator. You're probably going to save about $100 a year in electricity because you don't have to sit there gawking with the fridge open. You can see it, grab it, shut it. You're going green. You're saving the environment. You're saving money. Everyone's like, well, that's a good idea. Uh, No, no. Even though it sounds good, nobody wants people looking in your fridge. Kind of like your medicine cabinet. You know when Edna comes over and is like, is that meatloaf for pudding? (laughs) You don't want that. 
So just because it's a great idea on paper, logically it makes sense. You got to get into human nature and understand why people do what they do. All right, let's bounce to our geeky, scholarly article. This comes from Psychology Today, Dr. Wendy Wood, and the Journal of Psychological Science. Mood has less control over behavior than we think. It's easy to blame mood. I'm not in the mood. But is it really mood? This is pretty interesting what they talked about here. Because we often blame our mood for our behavior. But they're saying that most of the time it's habit, not mood. We like to blame our mood. Because I'll just put it this way. It's easier to blame a mood than a habit. Now, it's interesting when you research emotional intelligence and emotions, emotions can be addicting. You know, anger, depression, resentment. They release neuropeptides, chemicals in our bodies to where it becomes our new normal. So I would assume along those lines that mood can also be addicting. So let's go to the study. Dr. Wendy Wood found that more than 40% of people's daily behavior was habitual. I've seen studies that are higher than that, but 40% of the things we do are based on habit. We just do it. We don't even think about it. See, habits can be activated automatically without conscious thought, which means that habits are often the default response or knee-jerk reaction. Again, that just happens unless there's this big, strong desire to act differently. As you've probably already figured out, your brain likes to follow the path of least resistance, the easiest. That's why we keep harping on the podcast, make the persuasion process easy. Make your call to action easy. So they took the example of the morning coffee routine and the brain learns to pair cues in the environment to trigger this habit. You know, you wake up, you step in the kitchen, this is what you do, and we create these associations. And when you do those things in the morning, coffee drinking is automatically activated. So they went to take a look at, okay, is this morning coffee, was it more of a habit or did you need the jolt of caffeine? So he asked coffee drinkers to estimate the extent to which they drank coffee out of tiredness versus out of habit. Most said, oh, being tired, I need the jolt, I need the caffeine. But when they tracked these participants, they looked at their behavior over a week. They found that people drank coffee out of habit just as much as they did for being tired. So the study suggests that we fail to recognize how habits shape our behavior. And they're like, okay, why is this? First of all, habits are difficult to monitor. And I added earlier that <laughs> it's easier to admit mood than bad habits. So back to habits are difficult to monitor. They found that it's, it's easy to think if we could control our habits once, then we can control them all the time. But in reality, it's difficult to monitor habits all the time. In the long run, we often rebound to the easy, habitual choice or action. Again, we can be creatures of habit. Especially if we're not thinking it through. It just happens. The second one, cultural attitudes towards habits. I mentioned this one. Western culture usually emphasizes goals, intentions, and feelings. Therefore, most people are not used to explaining behavior in terms of habits. See, if we keep thinking that our behavior is driven by inner states, we keep trying to regulate behavior by regulating these inner states, these moods. But in the case of habits, this approach won't cut it. Habits can persist even when we intend to act differently. So like, okay, how do you break this habit? All right, choose a habit that you need to break. And they said the most effective way to change habit is to design an environment in a way that supports good habits and impedes bad habits. The research shows that minor obstacles that stand in the way of behavior create a little friction and can help us change our habits. 
They talk about companies need to ensure their environments are designed in a way that makes making the right choices easy. Whether it's washing hands, make it easy. Doing business with you, make it easy. Make good choices, make it easy. In fact, one interesting study I read a while back that, uh, you know, having candy on your desk, if you're trying to eat healthy and you have candy on your desk, not good. So they tracked people and how much candy they ate when it was on their desk versus a drawer in their desk versus on the other side of their office versus in the break room. The further it got, the less they ate. So you need to make it easier to make your good habits stick. And if you want to learn more about habits, we did a whole podcast on that a while back. Go to the archives at MaximizeYourInfluence.com and check out our archives. And also check out our training programs, how to contact us, take your free Persuasion IQ assessment, and get the new edition of Maximum Influence. Just pick up a little shipping and handling. It all can be found at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. So there is your plug. Now, as we talk about moods and attitudes and feelings, let's kind of back up a little bit and we kind of explain how this works. Can we learn more about the human brain in the last 10 years and the last 100 years combined? So we have our mind. We have the conscious side and subconscious side. The logical side, numbers need to add up, and the emotional subconscious side, it needs to feel right. And that can come from society, nature, nurture, experience, right? These are all programmed in our brain. And all these experiences, our conscious and subconscious, trigger thoughts. And these thoughts can be either positive or negative. And these thoughts trigger emotions. Now, what's an emotion? It can be a, a judgment or an evaluation or, or the way we interpret a thought or an event. So we have our brain, triggers thoughts, and these trigger emotions. And those emotions can trigger a variety of things. They can uh, trigger feelings, you know, love, frustration, anger, hate, joy, resentment. See, a feeling is a response to an emotion, and feelings can be a learned response. So these feelings are the internal expression of emotions. Or these emotions can also trigger a mood. Now, a mood lasts longer than emotion, has a little lower intensity than emotion, but they're all intertwined. I mean, bottom line, if you want me to simplify it, these thoughts... Positive or negative, trigger emotions, positive or negative, which can trigger a mood or a feeling, and those dictate our actions. So thoughts are real things, and everyone has negative thoughts. See, when people are failing, they have a negative thought, they give it water, a place to grow, that could happen. What if it does happen? It probably will happen. They worry about it, they think about it, and it happens. See, successful people have the same negative thought, they just redirect it to something more positive. They visualize a better outcome. That's the difference. Nobody can control their thoughts. You know, some people say, well, that's stinking thinking. Well, okay. Everybody has it. Again, I don't believe you can control them, but you can redirect them. That's the difference between success and failure. All right, that's our geeky scholarly article. Let's dive into listener email. Oh, boy. This is Yusuf from Turkey. This was sent last week. I did see in the news lately that Turkey did change their name. I'm not sure why, but I think the new name is Turkey Yay. All right, Yusuf, you're impressed that I knew that. So thanks for listening. He says, Kurt, love the podcast. I started on episode one. And I'm now at 211. Wow, good for you. I'm surprised you're not sick of me yet. <laughs> That's what the archives is for. So you have a little catching up to do. He says, what is the quickest way to get my teenager or anyone 
to change. <laughs> How do I get them to focus more on school and less on video games? <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about change. Now, it's human nature. We tend to resist change. But I mentioned earlier, sometimes we embrace and love change. It depends on what it is. Sometimes we wait until everything's perfect to make the change. Sometimes we just follow the path of least resistance. We've been doing that for 20 years. Why are we changing now? Which, by the way, is probably the number one complaint I get when I teach how to influence without authority. People think that way. No, that's how we do it. That's how we've always done it. Now, I'm not talking about alteration. I'm talking about change. There's a difference. Change is internal. You're doing it for the right reason. Alteration is just kind of doing it when people are watching. When the boss is watching, you pretend to do it, pretend to care. Or if you're dieting, you're eating healthy when everyone's around, but then the midnight trip to the fast food restaurant and you get your double cheeseburger. (laughs) Okay, there's a difference there. So let's talk about a few things that need to be in place. People don't mind a change. They don't mind being persuaded when it's done the right way. The first one is the mental programming, the mindset. The universe will not reward you physically until you've seen it mentally. If the person can't see themselves doing it, where they fit in, the amount of effort, and know they can do it, it's not going to happen. I mean, think about Olympic athletes. When they win a gold medal, how many times have they visualized it? It's real. Almost to the point that when they win, it doesn't surprise them because they've seen it so many times. And the more people can see themselves changing, other people making the change, some social validation, it's just much easier. Let me give you an example. When I took the jump from the corporate world to be the author, trainer, seminar guy, you know, it takes a little time to build up and it wasn't happening as fast as I wanted. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know, I'm not a car person. I'm a boat person. I love boats. Wakeboarding, wake surfing, wake skating, you name it. Water, boats, love it. So when you see me, let's talk boats. But anyway, at the time, did not have one. And I was a little frustrated. That's what I want. That was my thing. So I went to a boat show. Couldn't afford it at the time, but I did choose the make, model, color, length, the whole bit. Got the brochure, put up the picture, right? Vision board helps you create that vision. But I took it a step further, went to the lumber store, took the little money I had, bought some lumber, some cement, started clearing the Bushes on the side of the house, and my wife comes out, so what are you doing? I'm like, I'm building a boat shed. <laughs> She's like, you don't have a boat. I'm like, I know, I will. She says, you don't even have a car that'll pull a boat. I'm like, I know, I will. <laughs> okay. I measured it, figured out how I could back it in. I knew the size, the color. And then my neighbor comes over on another Saturday. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, building a boat shed. He's like, you don't have a boat. And I said, I know, I will. <laughs> and then he says, you want to know the two happiest days in a boat owner's life? The day they buy it and the day they sell it. Like, really? You spit on my dreams? Which is not true. It's not true for me. But lessons here, first of all, there are people around you that will spit on your dreams. You can't let that pull you down. Second of all, visualize it. And third, take action. Act as if it's already happening. That's part of the mental programming. So the steps you can take towards that change a little bit at a time makes it easier for the change to stick. So mental programming, visualization. The second one is a lot of people don't change because they just don't know how, the lack of knowledge. They don't have the tools. They don't know what to do. They're confused, especially in the business world. A confused mind says no. They'll say, okay, I'll get right on it. They have no idea what to do. So do they need a mentor? What tools do they need? Do they need to read a book? Do they need to go to the seminar? Do they need to listen to this podcast? Whatever it is, they need to have a personal development program to be able to learn the tools, to understand how to do it you got to have the tools. If you're asking your teenager to do better at school, to get better grades, do they know how? 
Do they need someone to help them study, show them how to study, how to get better grades, how to memorize better for a test? Maybe they just don't have those tools. Very few schools teach that. They just expect you to read a book and regurgitate it on a test. Maybe they just don't know how to do that. All right, so we got mindset, mental programming, we got knowledge, the tools, and then you have to look at the motivation. When someone says, we've been doing it that way for 20 years, you got to back up and understand what's in it for them. What's the benefit? Is it job security, more money, health, get into college? I mean, what are the benefits of that? And let me add to that too, the why. The human brain needs to know the why. Why are we doing this? Why is it important to get good grades, to purchase your product or service, to do business with you? Why is that important? So the motivation is really enhanced when you've identified what's in it for them, the why it's important, what are the benefits there? Because the motivation overcomes the fear. A lot of people don't change because of the fear. They don't want to look bad. They don't want to risk it. What if they look bad? What if they fail? What if they get laughed at? What if, what if, what if? And so you have to make sure when you talk about that motivation that the fear of not changing is greater than the fear of changing, right? Well, if we don't change, we're all out of a job, we're fired. Okay, versus let's learn some new skills. Because really, fear is just an overblown doubt. So hope you got that. Make the fear of not changing greater than the fear of changing. But also with that, the desperation, the fear. I mean, you want to crank it up, put a little salt in the wound, that's okay. Just buffer a little inspiration. So here are the consequences if we don't. But you know, if we do this, wow. Job security, make more money. You're going to be the hero. You're going to save 10 hours a week. You're going to fill in the blank. Very, very important. So let me recap. To get change to stick, people love to change. Remember, if I change your income and increase it, you're not going to resist me very much. You're probably not going to resist me. Health, relationships, whatever it is. So help them visualize it. See it, taste it, touch it, feel it. Maybe show them other people that are doing it, that have been successful with it. Do they have the tools? Do they know what to do? Are they confused? Let me add too, are they overwhelmed? It's just too much. Maybe you break it down to smaller pieces to learn the tools. And of course, the motivation. What's in it for them? What is the why? Crank up the fear a little bit, but buffer it with a little hope in the future, the inspiration. So crank up the desperation. Oh, oof, we don't change. Buffer it with the future and the inspiration. And if the fear still lingers, make sure the fear of not changing is greater than the fear of changing. Because the reality is for most humans, the known pain is easier to handle than the unknown pain. You're like, what is that? Well, see, the known pain of going to a job that you hate, it's sucking the life out of you. You know that pain. You, you can deal with it. You've been doing it for years. But the unknown pain of quitting in the economy and finding a new job and the what if and playing all those worries and fears in your mind. Remember, worry is a form of fear. You don't know what that fear is. That's the unknown pain. So make sure the more they can visualize it, see other people do it, getting them started, that is the key to change. And change your mindset too. People don't mind changing when these things are in place. If you're like, oh, they'll never change. They'll never do it. They'll never buy in. You prejudge them. And anytime you prejudge, it sucks the life out of you and you don't become a very good persuader. And of course, you're not going to change. Or the people that just shake their head side to side, you would be interested, would you? Of course, they're not. You do the same type of thing a lot of times when you ask people to do something or asking people to change. So Yusuf, there you have it. There's your keys to change. Simplifying it a little bit here, but of course, it's a critical thing. We need to change. That's part of persuasion and influence. So thanks for listening to the podcast. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. 
We can be found under Maximize Your Influence on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If you're into Pinterest or Instagram, we're under Max Influence. This week's special, huge discount, not even available online. There are no links on any website to get there. Not even listed on my website. I'll put a link, though, in the podcast, the 111 Sales Hacks. Three, four-minute videos. You can do them weekly, daily, to get more tools. Don't be a hammer every time you need to persuade somebody. Get more tools. It's pretty simple. The video, or you can listen to the audio. Here's the tool. Here's the science. Here's how you apply it. Pretty simple. Get more tools. The more tools you have in your persuasion toolbox, the more success you're going to have. I'll put that link under this podcast at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. But for sure, take one thing that you learned today, work on it, apply it, use it, and you'll be more successful, better negotiator, a better leader, a better influencer. And you know the drill. Go out and persuade with power.